Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome to Believe. That's B-L-E-A-V in line right here on the Believe Podcast Network. And it is a good day to believe in the Detroit Lions because not only did they not lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they very well could win on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. And of course, it is also a good time to be me because I get to talk to the legend. The oh. bad man at the <laughs> nose tackle, a former all pro, a former pro bowler, a man so bad that the Cincinnati Bengals had to move Hall of Fame left tackle Anthony Munoz to guard just to deal with them. It is Icebox Jerry Ball. How's it going? Jerry? Hey. Hey, I'm doing great. Again, you make me feel like I'm coming out for the heavyweight championship fight of the world and stuff, and I'm the champ. Well, I can't do that. Don't not Michael Vander Holyfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope you can keep those ears uh, and keep that uh, pretty smile going, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, doing good, man. But how, how have you been, man? I've been good. The Lions got a tie. The world keeps spinning. It is, it's a good time to be a Lions fan. Well, I, I would tell you if it was, if we were in the ocean and we would equate it as a tie, it means our nose is just above the water, hoping that no wave overtakes us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. But it's better than a loss. It's better than a loss. And, and, and you know, I, I think this season, I wasn't around the Lions when they went on 16. So I know that had to be just some mental type of breakdown, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally as, as a player, you know, because I've never went on anything. But for the guys to at least, you know, get a tie, but more importantly, again, you know, you're looking at a team that's in kind of like a real strange space right now, you know, and and, it, and it's like trying to just get that last little break. But I believe that if they weather this, and, and this is just in my feelings, if they can weather this storm and get through it and truly turn that corner, man, it could be probably something that would be a historic story like from like when the Cowboys was in the bottom of their cell and Jimmy Johnson them and Jerry Jones came out of that and then built them a, a run. I think the Lions, you know, I got a feeling that they can do that. I really do. I truly believe the Lions can do it. And when you just look at the narrative, the the last second record setting field goal loss to the Baltimore Ravens, the field goal loss to the Lions, all of that coming together to this tie and hopefully something to build off of. 
I'm excited about yeah. the Detroit Lions going forward. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're going into Pittsburgh, which is not, you know, an easy place to play for anyone. And the Lions don't really play Pittsburgh that often. No. You know, so, so to go into that place and you play them to a tie, that, that's really a win, tell you the truth. Yeah, I believe. I'll tell you what, the Cleveland Browns would accept it as a win. (laughs) Especially (laughs) after the way they played on Sunday. But we'll get to that in a moment. First, we have to give credence to our friends over at betonline.ag. And there's a big event coming up. We've got Darren Williams versus NFL running back Frank Gore. Williams, he's 6'3", he owns an MMA gym, and Frank Gore, he's only 5'9", he's 38 years old, but apparently he's been training heavily in boxing for years now. Maurice Jones-Drew, the former Jaguars running back, he was on the Pat McAfee show and said that he and Frank Gore would train together in the offseason, do a whole NFL training session, and then Gore would go and put a couple hours in the ring after the fact, so... I think I might have to take Frank Gore in this one. What do you think about a running back turning into a boxer? Well, here's the one thing that I will say about a guy like a Frank Gore. First of all, he's already proven that he has a stamina and a resilience that's beyond most because as long as he's lasted in the game and played at a high level because he's never dropped, but Boxing is a different sport. It's a different conditioning now. If he's been used to that type of conditioning, those three-minute rounds and and really getting in there and mixing it up and have the technical skills to kind of keep that chin tucked and, you know, throw that punch and have that good defense, that's one thing. Now, Darren Williams being a basketball player, the one thing that I've learned to never do is don't think that basketball players are soft. No. You know, and you never know what that guy has because he plays basketball does not mean he's not nice with these hands, you know, and and, and his height, I think, can be a problem. His reach might be a problem if he has any technical skills and can jab. Now, did you say he does MMA? Yeah, he's more into the MMA than the boxing, which there is some overlap, but it's we saw with Conor McGregor, it. It almost can hurt you in a sense. Well, uh, put it like this here, you know, guys that, you know, study martial arts, you know, do become technicians in how they deliver blows and how they protect themselves. Now, does that transcend into a, a square ring where you're putting on gloves and using rules that associate with a boxing? But one thing about them, both of them contact sports. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, so these guys have a thrill for something dealing with contact. You know, if they're in there like that, if he's MMA and he's in the ring, they like the contact. So, hey, you might as well let them test their skills. But, you know, I hope Gore can win because it would give, you know, the football players that upside. You know, but if he lose to a basketball player, we'll probably never, ever hear that. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm going. That wears out. You know, a guy like Anthony Mason, rest his soul, and, and Charles Oakley, you know, those guys, they, they could thump with us, you know. I, I would never try Charles Oakley just 
going straight up because of his reach. But if I was able to get close enough and get inside of it, you know, I got my ways of uh-uh-uh, bop-bop, and then drop it. <laughs> Start working the leverage with a little push-pull. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, there's a leverage to wrestling, but boxing, that leverage is that jab. And right there, he would have that, he would have the advantage. <laughs> well, make sure when you bet on this fight, you go to betonline.ag. They're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season. They've got more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50. That's B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. And so before we get into this Browns game, one final question for you. Dan Campbell called the tie versus the Steelers a twilight zone. Have you ever tied in your NFL career? I did not. And, and really, I don't like the tie aspect it's of it. It's weird. And, and, and I'll tell you, like in the state of Texas, as an example, when I was a senior, we had a game that we tied in the playoffs. And the way that they actually went to how they – uh, allowed what allowed us to advance from that game because you still got to have a winner to to progress to the next level to play whoever's won in the other region and um we had more first downs than they did and we had more penetrations beyond the half yard pass going on that side of the ball so they use those as the determining factors versus a field goal or any of those type of things. And I think that the NFL can very well incorporate that so that, okay, we didn't play to a tie. Now, whoever had gotten on the opposite side most would be the first threshold. If both of them have a tie in that, then statistically, who got the most first down? Because that is saying who actually had a better performance, mm-hmm. which you can equate to a winner. So I would, you know, tell the NFL they really need to look at how Texas handled ties. That's and, a very and, interesting and, way. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's fair. Absolutely. It's fair. Because nobody can run up there and change the stats. <laughs> you know, they'll be able to look at the stat sheet. They chart every play. And anybody that every time they cross the 50, you can count that. All right. So that means this team here was in position to score more. So they actually won the game. And if it's a tie in that aspect, then it goes to first downs. Who got the most first downs? And then if it if that's a tie, then it goes to the yardage. Who got the most offensive yardage? Mm-hmm. At every level, at some place, it's going to break. 
and with all of those stats, yes, we're focusing on the offensive side because it's the team with the first downs, but the defense is the one allowing those first downs. So it does make well, sense. Well, yeah, but 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 the reason why you focus on the statistical aspects of what the offense is doing is because to win you have to score. Yeah. So you showing just like in horseshoes, they are they they were closer to scoring more than this team. They were in position, or statistically, they had a better performance. You know that says that they would have scored more. They had a game went on with the clock. If you just take that as an assumption, but anyway, all of it is assumption. But the stats does eliminate you know any bias, any they, bias. They do, as we've heard from a couple players before. Men lie, women lie, but the stats don't lie. The numbers don't lie. And I I like this idea of getting rid of the tie. Charles Harris, the edge defender, he was talking about how he literally didn't know what happened when overtime ran out. I've heard people suggest a two, dueling two-point conversion on the two-yard line. But I think, you know, there's ways that that could be done. But when you get to a level of understanding risk, right? That's that's the deal in the sport of risk management. So every additional play is just more risk, you know? And if you had one of those baseball games that that lasted, you know, four or five hours, because that's happened in Major League Baseball before, you know, what are you going to do? You know, fatigue is going to set in. And when fatigue sets in, injuries happen. That is a fact. Yeah. You know, so at some level, regulation time, then overtime, and then stats. Got to bring it into it. Yeah. And the we don't want the NFL turning into cricket where we have multi-day events just because <laughs> overtime lasts so long. Exactly, exactly. And television, you know, advertisers, you know, then they, they start backing up the money train, too. <laughs> uh, and so now we can start talking about this Cleveland Browns matchup. And Jared Goff doesn't look like he's going to play. He's dealing with the strained oblique. And Tim Boyle, who's been on the IR with the broken thumb, he's been getting the first team reps over David Blau. And Tim Boyle's had a very interesting journey. He played for three years at the University of Connecticut, one touchdown, 13 interceptions, which is horrendous. Then he transfers to Eastern Kentucky. He throws 11 TDs to 13 interceptions. So he ends college with 13 touchdowns to 26 interceptions. But then he beats out a first-round pick, Jordan Love, for the backup job in Green Bay. And now he has earned the backup job and potentially starting job with the Lions. What do we think about all this? Is he just a practice, not a game type player? Is he just making people love him behind the scenes? I I don't know what to make of Tim Boyle. Well, here's the reality. On Sunday, he's going to be their starting quarterback in the NFL regardless of how we could ever identify his role or his past, whenever you can say you are an NFL starter at in any position, that's a great thing. So his skill set has allowed him to persevere to this point. Now, 
whether or not he will establish himself because you see a guy like that can go out and, and have a bang in two, three weeks and it'll get others' attention and other teams that might be struggling would look at him as being an option when his contract comes up or something like that. So for him, this is a great opportunity for him to establish his ass. Now, Jared being, you know, hurt, as soon as he gets back, he's back under the helm. That's just how it should be. That is how it should be. But I've got one caveat question. Say Tim Boyle leads the Lions to their first victory of the season <laughs> on Sunday in Cleveland. Does he earn another start? There you go, starting, starting, <laughs> starting drama. Have we not had enough of that this year? Why are you going to create that? Listen, here's the deal. I think what happens is if the Lions are really trying to establish Jared Goff as their future, right? and they want to take a look at Boyle, then they might delay him a week. All right? Just to see. But if he goes out there, and let's say he lights it up, hey, you got to give him another shot at some level. And if you put Jared in, as soon as he starts not, it start not flowing, then... Ball should be back in there. Now, there's a, a real nature that every team assimilates into how a quarterback brings him in the huddle, how he communicates, and that can make an offensive lineman and a receiver, you know, kind of get a little bit more pep in their step. And here's what I mean. All right, let's say Jared in practice focuses strong to a certain receiver because he's trying to get the timing down with that one. But that other receiver, which is the number two and number three, when ball comes in, he's throwing it to everybody in practice. Why? Because he's trying to just get a good look, but he's throwing it to everybody. Now, when they go into the game, because Jared is comfortable going to this one guy, it can become one-dimensional where he's looking for him to bail him out every time. But because Ball may have practiced in a way where he uses the system and he doesn't have any preferences because his first chance to get on the field, he got to shine. So he needs to get the ball to whoever he can make it efficient and he needs to show he can go through those progressions. So he could very well be tuned in better than Jared into the system because he doesn't have the pressure, but more importantly, he's learned how to work through it without having to find his, you know, relief valve. So that's just the nature of playing quarterback and what can also happen. Because you remember when the backup quarterbacks does get a chance to work with the number one line and things like that, you know, that's that's a change. The the pace of how he calls his cadence, you know. You know, one guy might say, hey, ready, set, left, right, you know, and go. And then another guy say, check 11, 
Right, 36. Sit. Hut. Hut. And that's, you know, so offensive linemen got to learn how to readjust their hearing so that they don't start jumping off sides because the other quarterback moves faster. That's why in practice you get the reps with the one so that you can get that acquainted because the sound, especially if you're in hostile territory. But that's a little long-winded about some of the impact that can happen when you're a backup, but it also can be a benefit, it, you know, being it, a backup. It definitely can be, and we just saw that with the Jets recently. Their quarterback, Zach Wilson, goes down with the knee injury. They put in Mike White, and no one has any film on Mike White, and so he balls out. He throws for 400 yards, and then yeah. teams get film on him. They see his tendencies, what he likes to do. And then he throws four interceptions and finds himself back on the bench for Joe Flacco because Zach Wilson's still not healthy. So that's a very real possibility with Tim Boyle. He comes out firing, has a big first performance. And then they, the nice thing too, with Jared Goff, he's not bench. It's an injury. If say Tim Boyle balls out, they can say, well, Jared's we're, we're just being cautious with the oblique. We're just going to rest him one more week. It's, it doesn't have to be a comment on his ability. It can, it's injury, right? Well, I, I think again, you know, every team, when you're dealing with your quarterback, if he's your franchise quarterback right now, for all the value that the Detroit Lions would have in quarterback right now, Jared Goff is the most valuable piece that they have. Mm-hmm. If they, Started to make a change in trade, Jared Goff is still their most valuable piece. But if he's their future, he's their most valuable piece. You get what I'm saying? So Jared Goff has to factor in every decision that they're going to have to make, you know? And when he comes back, it, it has to be at the benefit of where Jared feels mentally ready too, mm-hmm. you know? Because Sometimes when you come back from injuries, you know, and remember, you know, you know, he had he, he had took a little pounding, you know, a little bit. He, he's been rattled from time to time. So that pressure, you know, is still there. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to just take a step back and just clear clear your mind. And hopefully this can be a clear your mind reset week off. But it's not just the Lions quarterback who's banged up, too. Baker Mayfield is saying he's more injured than he's ever been in his entire life. So officially, he is day-to-day with knee injury on the practice report, and he's confident he'll play. However, we also know that he's got a torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. He's not on the injury report for that. And he's got a foot injury that he's not on the injury report for. So he's got three injuries, and we're only talking about the knee. So that is truly some grit i would say but then again you've talked about all the injuries players play through and is this just part of life in the nfl you know uh regretfully it is you know i mean there's a requirement you know that as a player we feel that we have to be on the field you know uh, one we're competitors we are true gladiators you know Mm -hmm. But but we are more intellectual, 
than most would even understand. Um, the the type of you know knowledge base that we have just for having to remember, you know, plays, you know, mm-hmm. or and things that when they give you a book, you know, it's like reading War and Peace, and you can be in the middle of the season and a coach called something you hadn't ran all year, but you have to know that. You know, so just from that standpoint, you know, any guy that makes it to the game has already shown themselves to be um, intellectually good and understanding schemes and, and being able to play at certain levels. Now, with what Baker Mayfield, because he's a, an aggressive type quarterback, you know, he's kind of like a little running back at quarterback. He's like a he's like a rough Russell Wilson. And I think that's I a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, so some of the stuff with him getting banged, I can I can see that. Um I, I had a labrum tear. Okay, and I played a full I played I, it happened third game of the season. I was tackling Marcus Allen and <sighs> And I actually tackled him, and Will Shields, the Hall of Fame guard, fell on top of me as I hit hit the ground, and it made my arm kind of hyperextend for my labrum and bicep tendon. I had to have a bicep tendon reattached, and I had to have that labrum turn repaired. And that shit is no joke, you know? And then I've had knee. You know, so yeah, you got a quarterback. The mobility is affected by the um, the knee, and then the even though it's not his throwing arm, it's his guide arm. You mm-hmm. know, when you're a quarterback, you see a quarterback don't throw with his left arm at his side. Every time he lifts that, he's gonna feel the pain before he even throws the ball. So that's you know something definitely gonna be you know, impacting his play, you know, but he plays an aggressive style ball. But intellectually, he's a football player. He truly is a football player. He is, and a talented one at that. And so I I do have two questions here. Number one, going off of your torn labrum, does that mean it's safe to say that Marcus Allen is probably your least favorite player to tackle in the NFL? Oh, no, no, no. Marcus and I are good friends, too, you know, so we don't have any problems. Oh, no, uh, just in terms of... No, no, no. I, 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 I'll tell you the ones that that Keith Byers is one. Okay. Right? When he was with the Philadelphia Eagles, they had gave him a quick dive one time, and, man, he ran up on my neck and gave me what we call a burner or a stinger, but that's when it pinches Earth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't want to butt heads with Keith Byers too much, you know, <laughs> for real. And then Christian Okoye. Oh, yeah. The Nigerian nightmare. Yeah. You know, now yeah. I can handle Christian one on one, and I have. I even have him on a couple of cards and stuff. But when you start talking about that guy, you got to catch him early before he starts that momentum. And I was able to always try to catch him early before he built up that speed because when he built up that speed, he's a hard man to bring down. You're not taking down the Nigerian nightmare with an arm tackle. No, 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 not at all. You're going to have to stand in front of him to slow him down. Other than that, he's 
run through that shit. <laughs> well, good to know. I've I've been wondering that. Who are the guys that are the worst to tackle? But then back to the Browns and Baker Mayfield. Do they extend him this offseason? Because 2022 is the last year of his deal. Typically, teams with quarterbacks like to extend them a year early so they don't have to play the whole franchise tag game. But how it's it's tough, isn't it? Because Josh Allen just got the mega extension. We know Lamar Jackson's about to get his mega extension in the offseason. Where does Baker I, fall in that? I, I Baker middle of the road. You yeah. know, Baker. I think Baker does get an extension. I would tell you right now, if I was the Cleveland Browns, I wouldn't roll the dice on trying to sign anybody unless somebody like Russell Wilson say, hey, I'm going to be a free agent and I want to play for you. Yeah. If I don't hear that from someone like that, they need to re-sign Baker Mayfield because Baker has enough skill set to win it all. Now, I will tell you that that the Browns kind of really – you know, reminds me of the Lions, you know, bring a lot of great players in and a lot of, a lot of good players go, you know, and if you go back to what I was saying about, you know, being a team that is really trying to win a championship. Did you see the Rams make that move for Vaughn Miller and then turn back around and sign Odell Beckham? They're all in. They trying they trying to win this year. They ain't trying to wait on no rebuild. And that's really what you got to get to in the, as a team whereas once you get close, you got to pull what you need in and take your shot because you're not going to always players get old, coaches change. You know, you could have a coach that was your great defensive coordinator that get an offer the next year, and you don't have the same defense. Mm-hmm. And that's a you know, worry so, the Lions with Aaron Glenn, too. That could always happen. Yeah, exactly. So when I look at the Browns and the Baker Mayfields and stuff, you know, and Odell, man, I would have never let Odell. I don't care what problem we have. You know, we're going to figure this shit out. Yeah. You know, yeah. because what we're talking about right now is production. We're not talking about Odell Beckham being a bad person. Or a bad teammate, just, too, if you listen or to bad, Or a bad teammate. No and one in the locker hard. room. Listen, he works harder than anybody. I want my rookies working like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he can't throw the ball to himself. And most teams are going to double him, which makes the other guy – more proficient. So when you see this guy over here catching the balls, well, damn, they they got two on Odell. For sure they got two on him, even without him catching the ball. You know, so that's the only thing I didn't like about the Browns. Now, some well, anyway, we'll talk about the defense side, but with Baker, I would be trying to lock him in, and then I'll try to go ahead on to keep building the good pieces because think you got a good back, you had Odell, okay, and your defensive line is probably one of the top three in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got a chance. It's got a it's, chance. it's so strange that they were sellers almost in a sense at the trade deadline, even though they cut Odell after the fact. It not the move you'd expect for a team that should be all in. 
Well, but but here's the difference. But they're not close. All right. Now he's there. To, so so when okay, let's now bring it to the business side. When you look at the salary, and you look at you know how close you are to really contending, right? You know. A player like Odell being able to get out there in the market and choose a team that is competing for a championship this year, Odell won. Oh, yeah. He won. Now, and then he playing with Matt Stafford. So you think that's not going to extend his career? Mm -hmm. If he stay there, if you think Matt Stafford don't want to have an Odell to throw to? First down, who did he throw to? Yeah, the very first play. And very first play. They're getting comfortable with each other, too. Listen, letting you know I'm going to him. Yeah. That was a straight set signal to the league. <laughs> that's my dog. I'm going to him. Now, you start coupling him with the others that's already there? Shit. <sighs> Man, the Rams set. They just got to do it. Yeah. They just it, got to do it. <laughs> you know, you got Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller, one on the inside, one on the outside, coming at you. <laughs> and it, and then you've got Jalen Ramsey coming off the edge. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. All right. Look, we talking about the Rams. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Let's get back to the Browns and stuff. But the Browns letting Odell go just brought our attention over there. I, oh, I completely agree. One final question on the Rams, though. Some people around the league, reporters mostly, not actual people in the league, but they're talking about how teams <laughs> over the last two weeks start to think that the Rams are soft. They don't like when you play them physical. The Titans and 49ers are that that's some of the word around the the reporters in the league. Are there really soft teams in the NFL though, or is this just a moment of transition for the Rams and everyone has these kind of downfall games, especially after losing Robert Woods to an ACL? I, I will tell you that they are identifying characteristics that would state that a team is soft. Now I don't see the film from the perspective of how we look at it as professional athletes, where we're looking at a close copy and, and, you know, the defensive line, you know, we're looking at a box. We don't look at secondary in our study. The secondary looks at a broader view. Then when you get into it and you start seeing certain things happen over and over, like it might be like a Jalen Ramsey take for instance. If he was pressing a receiver where he comes up in his face all the time, every down, and they can see that that receiver likes to have to get motion so that he can't put pressure on it. All right. But when he plays against a guy that might back off, he never's in motion. All right. Well, that might tell right there that that is the guy don't like pressure or someone to line up head up. So that would be one of those things that would say, oh, he's soft. Because he's not going to fight through the, the defender. He wants to be in motion so that he can get loose without contact. That would be considered soft. But also, 
when you have a receiver that is not physical. That's sometimes strategically what you have to do. So is it soft or is it being proficient with the personnel that I have so that I can get him in space? Say, for instance, I want to, you know, so, well, let me just not bring so many scenarios to it, but a, a defense can show a way that it's soft. An offense can show a way that it's soft. So whatever teams have picked up is something that they're showing consistently for it to be said. But that doesn't mean that you can whip their ass. Mm, there we go. But, because the San Francisco 49ers, when they ran the West Coast offense and broke it into the game, that's not a power football game. That's for You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, right. so were they soft or were they efficient? <laughs> that's that's kind of where I'm going with this, too, is yes, they're they're efficient. They're a little bit finesse kind of like the Salt Bay guy. They they like the 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 glitz and the glamour, but it's Aaron Donald, it's Jalen Ramsey, it's Matthew Stafford. These guys aren't shying away from contact. So overall, I don't think they are soft, and I don't think the Detroit Lions are soft either. We saw Dan Campbell take over as the offensive coordinator, or the play caller, because he wanted to be in the ear of Jared Goff. And offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn said that's okay because. He's been a head coach and he's made the same decision. It would make him a hypocrite to complain. Dan Campbell, though, he takes over and feeds DeAndre Swift 36 touches. The Lions run the ball 39 times. And one of the keys to their offense is Matt Nelson, the former right tackle. He becomes the sixth offensive lineman in these jumbo packages. And they start running the ball behind him and the tackles on the edges. So the first long touchdown, the 28-yarder, that goes between the offensive tackle Taylor Decker and the tight end. And then the 43 yarder goes between the tight end, Matt, or, uh, the tight end, Matt Nelson and the right tackle Penny Sewell. So it really seems like these jumbo packages are starting to work in the NFL. Is that something that you've noticed with this commitment to smaller, faster linebackers, especially? Well, I, I tell you, you know, the, the NFL it definitely is a copycat league. You know, there's the originality comes from what someone else sees another team do successfully. Now, because they're running the big package, that brings a certain personnel on on the field. And that is a mismatch because defenses have had to be structured and built on the basis of covering these receivers because the offenses are very fluid. They're open. They're not as contained inside that whole, what we call the box, where the 907 is, where you have the linemen, linebackers, and all that playing in the box. Now, because of those linebacker size, that's the position that they can't swap out because that linebacker, if he's undersized and you got a big man line up there, yeah, that's going to be a lot of traffic for him, you know. But at the same time, if I have an offense that's built a certain way and that's our game is the power game, okay, yeah, I'm going to dose you. I'm going to give you a good dose of that, all right. But if I got a finesse and I'm trying to take a mallet to uh, dinner China, then I'm using the wrong tool to wash the glasses. 
You get what I'm saying? So does it work? Yeah, it works. Can he win with that? He can win situations. That's not going to win games. Mm. At, at least for now in terms of the personnel, because we, we're, we're kind of seeing it with the Patriots where they've gone for this bigger with the, the two tight end packages and stuff. And it's yeah. it, it's the versatility, though, like you said, that you can win so many times with it, but you have to have a counterpunch kind of thing. And Bill Belichick always has a counterpunch. And that's one of the things I wanted to know. You've played for Bill Belichick. What is yeah. that like? Well, you know, Bill is a very demanding coach and he's very cerebral and stuff. And you and he plays he and Nick, I played for he and Nick Saban at the same time. Yeah. Nick Division's coordinator, Bill was the head coach. They traded for me from Detroit. And uh this was when I was at the top of the game, I was the number one nose guard in the league, and they make a move. And you know, what Bill did was you know, I'm coming from a two-gap defense, which is a certain way that you play a technique. And what Bill did, he showed me how to, and the rest of the guys, you know, how to play. We played like a blend of a 41-42 defense, but with the nose guard playing a technique in an alignment that was really a four-man front alignment, but I'm playing the technique like it's a five-man front from the nose. So in that aspect of it, he was an innovator, you know, and I just happened to be the first pupil that he was able to do that, which, which actually created. So now when you look at all of Bill's defenses, look at the nose guard, Ted Washington, Vince Woolfolk, myself, you know, we all big body guys. But we were there to hold the middle of the defense so that we can control the line of scrimmage. And then he used the other defenders to put the pressure on the quarterback. But our role was to establish the line of scrimmage and not give a budge. And that's that's the way that he coached it. But, you know, in, in, in just knowing him also from the standpoint of during those days, he was young and he made some mistakes and he made mistakes with me because when they traded for me, I only had one year on the contract. So they were trying to sign me as, you know, before the season ended, but Bill and I, you know, had gotten into a situation whereas, you know, uh, he was killing me in the paper about my weight. And all he was doing in the paper was trying to drive my value down because mm -hmm. And behind the scene, you know, they were offering me $2.2 million a year to stay, right? Yeah. So I looked at that as betrayal, you know, and I wasn't going to, a number was not going to make me give up the constitution of who I was that you're going to sit up on, you know, in the paper and talk shit about me. And because you offering me the money, you know, I'm like, shit, I'm going to go over here. I'll go get it from somewhere else. And I did. And the Raiders signed me as a free agent. And matter of fact, it was so bad that the last two weeks of the season, I actually moved all my things out of my locker. And the only thing that was in there was literally just the football things because I told them I was not going to come back to Cleveland. 
Now that Cleveland team became the Baltimore Ravens too. Yeah. So it's not the same Browns. And a lot of people don't give Bill Belichick credit for building the Baltimore Ravens success, he and Isaac Newsom, because Isaac was over scouting when Bill was the coach. Bill was doing all the drafting. Isaac was the one that would go find the players. And then when they moved to Baltimore, Isaac became the general manager. Okay. So in that regard, but Bill is a very loyal person. And I'll tell you what he did one time. Um, I had retired and I'm playing with the Vikings. And at this time, this is that year that he goes back to the Jets and then go back to the Patriots. You remember that year? Yeah, where the okay. uh, the retirement uh, on the, the piece of paper, the napkin. Exactly. So after we, we, we played the Jets up in Meadowlands, and um, I had a pretty good game, and we were – the bus was actually about to leave. And uh, Bill came out, and he stopped in – and you could hear Denny Green's up at the front, and I always kind of sit in the back. You know, I'm kind of, you know, one of those guys that like kind of keep it festive. So I'm all the way in the back for those that don't want to hear no shit talking. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry's in the back bringing the party. Yeah, well, I'm not bringing the party, but I'm talking shit. I'm not, <laughs> you know, not quiet. So uh, Denny say, Jerry, I'm like, Yes, sir. He say, hey, coach, want to holler at you. So he holds up the bus. We're literally about to go to the airport. And I come on and get off the bus, and me and Belichick were talking, and he apologized for the way he handled me in, in Cleveland. Wow. Yeah, he did that. You know, and after that, you know, you know, it, it really did my heart well because I was upset with him. And another thing that was upsetting is that, you know, because he killing me in, in, with my weight, that there was a conversation they had. The general manager was Mike Lombardo, who came from the 49ers, and I loved him. But there was a conversation that had taken place with Micah Dean Perry about my situation, and Micah Dean Perry is telling me that they want me to go to the fat form like his brother went to the fat form. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, all the fat form is, is just really just go and get into a program that kind of go through a nutritional program and stuff and help you kind of lean your body and things like that. It ain't that I had a problem with that. It's a problem that you're talking to Mike and Dean instead of talking to me. Mm. That was the part of the betrayal, too, you know. And for Mike and Dean to come tell me something about myself, that was a no-no. For me, you got something to talk to me. You talk to me. Other than that, your shit don't mean shit to me. That's how I did, you know, and that's how I dealt with it. And I left. But more importantly, you know, Bill, Bill is a good man, you know, and he works his ass off. You know, during that time, Bill would literally sleep at the stadium. Literally. They used to have, in Cleveland, they used to have to have like uh a patrol car outside his home. Really? 24-7. Oh, yeah. People in Cleveland at a minute, they, they hated Bill. Really? You know? 
Yeah, yeah. This is his first job, and you got to understand the Cleveland Browns back in those days. You know they were competing. You know, mm -hmm. shit. They had just had the debacle happen with Elway a few years before they hired Belichick. And All right, so 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 it's still some of those people. Let me tell you who's on our team, right? So you know, on defense, at cornerback is Everson Walls that played with the Cowboys. Okay. Clay Matthews. Yeah. Roy Burnett that started for Baltimore during their championships. Yeah. And Pleasant that started for the Patriots during their championships. Mm -hmm. Me, Micah Dean Perry. Mm -hmm. Then got Mike Johnson at linebacker, who's longtime Cleveland Brown. You got Eric Turner, rest his soul, who's from UCLA. That's a safety head. I really just started making the Pro Bowl. You got Stefan, and then you have Stefan Moore, which is from Mississippi, which was a hell of a safety. That's our defense, right? On offense, we got Eric Metcalf, Leroy Horde, Bernie Kozar, Michael Jackson at receiver. Uh, Keenan McCardle. Oh, yeah. I, um, shoot, who else? I mean, we had a hell of a team. Yeah. Hell of a team. All right. So Bill had built a nice one. He had built a nice squad. Uh, shoot, Tony Jones, big left tackle, uh, for Denver that played with the Broncos for the, those many years. You know, so it wasn't like Bill didn't know football. Bill knows football, and he and what they started building there, shit, that became the Ravens, like I said. But we had a we had a nice team there in '92. It's almost like, nice it's almost yeah. like Bill built two franchises. He built the Ravens and he built the Patriots, and those those are two of the best franchises in the modern day NFL today. Yeah. That's right. And that that that's his. That they started with his with his footprint. That's for sure. And it really does seem like, as you said, Bill made mistakes early in his career, but it seems like he learned from them because now with the Patriots, yeah. nothing goes to the media, nothing goes to the papers. It's yeah. all in house. And I've heard That's right. it can still get real nasty in the negotiations and when you're trying to get a new contract and your feelings can get hurt, but it's all Business. in house and it's all face to face between two people yeah. who respect each other, which yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill learned not to, even with the things that was going between Tom Brady and him being upset, you know, Bill really never responded to it in the appropriate way. And, you know, and then here's the other thing. Honestly, I'll be 57 next month. And I can tell you, I could give a shit less what most people say if it ain't got nothing to do with me, my survival, my children, my grandkids' safety. You know, I, you know when you're in the public eye, okay, and this is one thing that, honestly, I've tried to stay out of the public eye and do everything in a real discreet way, but when you're in the public eye, opinions of others it, you could walk across the street and they don't like the way you walked across the street yep. you could they don't like the color tennis shoes you have on and that's why they don't like you 
you know? And then, you know, there's those experiences, excuse me, where as a person that is a personality, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that in an egotistical way, but a personality where people identify you more for what you did than who you are. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, you know, a guy like Belichick, for what he's did, he's identifiable for what he's done. People that, guys that play for him, you know, like I said, he and I didn't, we had a good relationship, but we didn't have the best because I didn't understand where he was coming from, from the beginning, you know, and while he was choosing to do things so different, but be that as it may, I respect him and I don't have nothing to say bad about him. Always, you know, yeah, and everything didn't fit me, you know, like the conditioning and things. He he took care of me and Micah Dean to make sure that we would make it on the field. Like when he would run the whole team on gases, he would. And what a gas is, you know what a gas is? I, th I think so. That's is that the Darren backs? Yeah, the Darren backs, Darren back. All right. So when the team would have to run four, four or five gases. Hell, Bill would make them bring out bikes for me and Micah Dean to ride the bikes while they're running them. All right. You know why? Because he knew for us to run the gases was going to be taking our legs from us. Yeah. And he wanted us to be his anchors on Sunday. So he wasn't going to run our legs out. But that was a coach being aware, like, hey, I can't run my heavyweight guys like I'm running these receivers. Now he want our ass to be in shape, so y'all get on that bike. Yeah. <laughs> do some cardiovascular now. You're going to do that, but I'm not going to wear your body out. And that's one of those things that a great coach knows. Like, hey, I got to get him there and make sure he shows up on Sunday. I can't beat him down, so we're going to do this. Hey, take him out of practice, only give him less snaps, things like that. So those are the things that, you know, I say I learned you know, with Bill, when he was young, is that he was very aware of those type of things, you know, and he just became a better manager. But in terms of strategic football shit, Bill Belichick, especially if we're going to play defense, I'll take him and Nick saving it, and I think we'll beat anybody's ass. I really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be hard-pressed to find two better defensive minds than Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Man, the knowledge that they put in us as players when both of them are in the same meeting room. Oh, I can only imagine. You know, but one of the things that I even have looked at my university, and it's not because it's a willing ignorance, but it's an ignorance because they don't know. And I would tell like a couple of boosters, I said, do you know that I play for Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and none of you have ever asked me, what are they teaching? So really? that you would know, yeah. Wow. It, because, you know, the boosters, they get into their ego. Mm -hmm. But they don't understand that there's some fundamentals that is being transferred. And you say you want a Nick Saban to come to your program. You want a Bill Belichick to come to your program, but you don't know what makes 
their program what it is because you think it's the boosters. It's not the boosters. The money is required. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But the winning is a way of winning. Yeah. And the money don't manufacture that. The but money just gives the promotional dollar to recruit the, the caliber of player that he wants to recruit. The but money. the system is the system, and he can take some average players and still whoop your ass. Absolutely. That's the difference. They have a system. I know the system because I was part of the foundation of that system, and I could look and tell you everything that they do. I know the philosophy behind it. So when you as a booster or you're interviewing a coach, you would want to know if they understand the philosophy that you say you want. Really? Right? Like, yeah, you know, so so if you're not talking to someone that knows what that philosophy is, did you talk to Nick? No, because I'm talking to Nick, so I know you hadn't talked to Nick. <laughs> you get that, what I'm saying? Ab absolutely, and that's one of the crazier things I've heard when it comes to the NFL draft cycle, We and we won't get into the, all the weeds of it, but yeah. from Nick Saban's mouth, he says there's only about six coaches that call him and ask for his opinion on the Alabama players. And we know that Bill Belichick does it. We know Ozzie Newsom does it because of that relationship. We don't know the rest of them, but so there's almost there's 25 plus teams that aren't calling the best mind in all of college football to ask his thoughts on his own players. And that's how you get a Mac Jones falling to the Patriots and absolutely dominating. It's, it's ego. Yeah, that, it's pure ego. It's all ego. you damn right it's all ego. Think about this. Not only is he an exceptional coach, but if you had a pool of athletes and you could only go to one school in the United States of America to pull from, Alabama got guys that are backups that are started at Georgia, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Auburn, LSU. This man has recruited the top tier, the top tier. You got guys that probably would, would never, ever, ever play at Alabama that can walk on some NFL teams and make it. Yep. Because that's the talent pool that this guy's attracting. So, you know, you, you're exactly right. It's all ego. It's all ego. I'm going to ask him, tell me the sleeper. Tell me the one that, that's not playing for you right now that you know can play at this level. That's how I'm talking to him. Yeah. It might not be the marquee guy. It might be the guy over here like, hey, man, this guy here is a solid player, you know, but our scheme don't highlight what he does. You get what I'm saying? Yes. Nick got that type of understanding. And to not talk to him, shit. I don't know what they, I don't know what type of coaching career they are aspiring to, but Nick Saban way, Devin, what what they pay Nick now seven million, eight million a year now, and even then it's not enough. Yeah, but I'm just saying, you know, oh, yeah. I would aspire to that direction for sure. How many national championships he has? <laughs> and. Hopefully the Lions can kind of build what Nick's built at Alabama in the NFL. It's going to take a lot of work, but that's what we can aspire to be. 
Well, you know, well, we aspire to be what Bill Belichick has built, you know, which is the same fundamentals of how football is played. And, and I would tell you that if you compare Campbell to Belichick in those ways, as much as you would think the um, Matt Millens and the Campbell way is similar to Belichick, it's not. You know, that's where they, they would be lying to themselves. It's not. You know, one of the things is that the player knowledge that Belichick enacts into his players just through training camp and the things that he would do as it relates to the people that he's going to have teach the technique are all former players. And if you look at Belichick's staff, too, he has a young staff. He keeps young coaches around him, and he's loyal, okay? Now, in that, you would say, well, damn, why he has so many young coaches, but he's still thumping you? Because it's the system. It's the system that he's teaching the coaches of how to get the players prepared, and a lot of the players that have coached for him, like the Pepper Johnsons of the world, you know, they, they were the ones that he used to initially come and teach the Patriots the way. Those was guys played for him when he was at the Giants. You go back and look at some of that early staff, you'll see these are guys that played for him. Didn't Verbal pay, play for him? Yep. Huh? What is he doing? And that's the thing. He's one of people talk about how disappointing the Belichick coaching tree can get. We've experienced it firsthand with Matt Patricia, but it's like you say, they're not teaching things the way Belichick is. I fe it felt like Matt Patricia, he came in and all the talk was he's the rocket scientist. He has a rocket science degree. He's a genius. But the genius isn't the thing that makes Belichick Belichick. It's the teaching that makes Belichick Belichick. Yep, it's the teaching and it's his adjustments. What Bill Belichick does at halftime in his adjustments it's the mastery of the chess that he plays. That's what separates him. Bill Belichick ass can make some adjustments. And it'll be some wild ass adjustments. He'll take a player that might not have ever played a position and ask him, can you line up in front of this guy and do this? And all I want you to do is just hound him down the field. Don't let him run free. Can you stick on him? And the guy, ego, yeah. That's what I need you to do. Okay, Jared, he's going to be in for you on that punt scenario, and that's what we're going to get him to do. Those type of adjustments where he in the details of it. Like, hey, tell him the why now. Hey, do you understand containment? Yeah, he say at no point do you ever give up containment. So what I want you to do, I want you to widen out to this point and I want you to look at this guy right here. You don't worry about nothing else. You just look at him. And if he goes to your right, then you trail, but you keep containment on everything and you keep every player in front of you. Those type of adjustments, coaching points into the details and why. And can you do that? <laughs>
do your job is the motto. It's I was that the motto with the Browns when Belichick was there because I know it's the Patriots motto. Do your well, yeah. Job. Well, here's the way that it was taught by Frank Gans and Belichick has same fundamentals of what he teaches. It's eleven individual battles, one team. You do your job and don't worry about nobody else's job. That was it. Simple, but and, oh, and here's the other thing. But Belichick also made sure that all defensive linemen knew what every defensive lineman did on every stunt. Because if he had to move you over that, he wanted you to know what you did on would have to do on that stunt. And he would also make you also understand what's happening next to you so that if the pressure point was, say, on the left end and I'm at left, you know, tackle, that if he got to come inside that I understood that I didn't need to be in his way. I would have to know that. And he would make sure we knew that. And that's another part of the details of the culture. feel like I'm learning so much about not just the NFL in general, but the actual on field. It's just so much knowledge, not from Belichick to Jerry ball to me now. And I am so hey, fortunate to I, be a part of this. I'm a student of Belichick. I can say that I, I, the things I learned, I learned, you know, and the thing is, is that it's sound. The fundamentals of it is sound. You know, and they beat you with sound football. They don't beat you with trickery. Yeah. They, Every yeah. now and then they might pull off a play, but that's when they had the West Welkers and those type of guys that they'll pull it off. But other than that, shit, they beating you with f fundamental football. Yeah. The, 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 the trick plays are more of a sprinkle. They're going to get you a score, but they exactly. don't. They don't need that score because they're going to beat you anyways. It's that kind All of right. thing. So, so that, there goes what opened up this here whole hornishness of the Dave Campbell versus Belichick. Dave is already showing some of the trickery to win. You mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? So the fundamentals of the approach is different. You know, so even with him coming in to try to, you know, run the heavy line, you know, big man line to run the ball, you know, shit, that's part of the way that he's going to call the game. That's his mentality. That's how he approaches it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, Bill will do that because it's an advantage. Mm -hmm. It's not, not my mindset. I'm not anchored in that. If Bill knew that he could not win playing two tight ends, he would not put their ass on the field at all. Yeah. yeah. That's the difference. And it seems like Campbell wants to force his will. I'm going to do this, and we're going to do this because I want my guys to block. Yeah, now that's getting them ready for, for a, a mentality and a culture change, but in terms of scheme. Is that what you built the personnel to do? Whereas you got two tight ends on the field, you, the the one tight end that's the feature, he's not a real blocking tight end. 
that TJ Hawkinson right. has struggled yeah. this year. So, 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 so essentially what you do, you have a tight end or, or tweener is what we're calling. He between a big receiver and a small tight end. So he's a tweener. He can run off the flank or he can run tight to the line. So essentially you got three receivers and one tight end. So now you can block and put him on the weak side that covers him so he's not always the pressure of where you're going to run those leads. So so it makes sense, but if I can see it, the teams that's watching them, they damn sure see it. So yeah. because they got a big line, that don't mean that, that that's going to make them the most efficient offense. It might make them that in clock, controlling the clock. But right now, the, the way the game is, is structured is for the fast score. So how are you going to keep pace if the other offense is spreading the ball and, and scoring every clip? Mm-hmm. Now, that two tight end offense normally don't, it don't keep pace. Especially when that was the debut of it. And now teams have film on it. They're expecting it, as you say. So how does Dan Campbell come in with the counterpunch when teams load up the box and adjust? Well, you we could look we look at double tight ends like goal line. It's just that you're putting it in the middle of the field. But when goal line team is called, nobody's on defense is scared because you got two tight ends in the game. That shit don't that don't scare nothing. That don't make nobody afraid. All that means is that we just gonna put an extra guy over another tight over your tight end. But when it comes down to it, you got to execute off of it. Is it a double tight end where you got the fluid aspects of being able to run and throw, and you're doing both? Are you doing it in the rhythm that makes a defense have to you know hurry up and get set? Because if you on on the double tight end. If you catch an offensive, a defensive line not getting set quick enough, you can definitely pile off some runs real quick and get some real good gains because, again, you just outnumber them at the point of attack if they're lagging in how quick they get done. So it's a tempo thing. It's all about how you're using it and when you use it. But can you win in the NFL consistently running that type of offense? No. You can win the clock game, but you ain't going to win many point games. And hopefully we can see the Lions pull off a win with this offense on Sunday against the Cleveland Browns. Hopefully, I know it's not going to be no 45 to 7 like the Patriots put on the Browns, but if the Lions can hold the Browns down on defense and put together a couple touchdowns, eh, they could very easily come out with the win here. So, any fragrance recommendations heading into the weekend before this one? Well, I, I think we we might need to spray some type of musk. You know, the, the musk is so that we can not stink the joint up. <laughs> we want a fragrant musk, a winning musk. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh, let's hope. Let's hope. Uh, So before we head out here, any final thoughts you want to touch on? 
No, I just think that, you know, the team is at a point where, as you know, they're going to have to, of course, they need to do better. But more importantly, you know, we'll see how they finish up the rest of the season. They got some conference games coming up, too. And so even if they're not in the running, those are important games because of teams that's in your conference. And, you know, shit, you want to whip. You can't be swept by the Bears and the Vikings. You can't do it in your first season with the Lions. Well, definitely not by the Bears and stuff. And, you know, with the Vikings, I'll I'll stay stained from coming. <laughs> I don't lose on that one. And I, oh. you know what I, mean? I don't lose on that one. Well, does that mean and, you don't and, lose and Sunday, really, too? I, and, and really, I don't lose this week either. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you know what? I, you know those. I, I was supposed. To, I, I'm gonna. I'm supposed to do something with the fan in Cleveland today. You know, I, I, I forgot about that. You know, uh-huh. but anyway, long short. You know, both cities I love. You know, Detroit a little more than Cleveland for sure. Oh, perfect. Just that's exactly what everyone wanted to hear here on the Believe in Lions podcast. <laughs> and so final final question before we get you out of here. Bet online has the Browns at 10 point favorites yesterday. Today, that's up to 11 and a half point favorites with Jared Goff looking like he's not going to play. So what is Jerry calling for his score? And do the Lions cover 11 and a half points by our friends on betonline.ag? Oof. You know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a sentimental score, right? So I'm going to go 21-20 Lions. 2120 for the Lions. I like it. What what what's uh what's the sentimental value behind that? Well, because of the Browns and you know, one of my favorite owners was Mr. Lerner, you know, the Browns and stuff, I probably have bought more orange things to wear for the Brown games than I've bought Honolulu Blue. So I just sentimentally, you know, I got some affection for the Browns. My younger brother was also drafted by the Browns, too. Actually, the year I retired, my brother was drafted by the Browns. So I almost had about 13 months from playing with my own brother. So in our house, you know, we got a lot of Brown stuff hanging between he and I. (laughs) <laughs> no kidding that would have been a fun come out of retirement to see the ball brothers yeah. playing together yeah yeah so but other than that you know i'm a lion every day yes you are and we appreciate you for your time with the lions and your time on the believe in lions podcast for me i'm going 17 13 win for the detroit lions i think the lions defense holds the browns down And I'm excited to see if the Lions can get their second non-loss of the year and their first W. So with that in mind, Jerry, you ready to break it down? Yes, sir. One, two, three. We We believe. believe. 
Say it with me. I love the Lions. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.